This morning's scripture reading will be from Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Good morning. I encourage you to take out your Bibles. We're going to be studying along with them from the Word of God this morning. I'm thankful for the good number that has come out to worship our God this Lord's Day. We're thankful for those who have been leading us in worship and prayers and songs. And as we've been able to remember the Lord's death and His sacrifice, we're always thankful for an opportunity to be together to remember Jesus and His life and the benefits that we have through His sacrifice that He made upon Calvary. This morning, if you would be turning in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, we're going to be looking at that verse in a moment, in verse 18. We're going to be considering some things about the Lord's church that He promised that He would build unto Peter and His apostles as He was there. But as many of us have probably heard and we have been thinking about, When you talk about the Lord's church, you talk about the church of Christ. It doesn't take very long, and people will just assume that it's just another denomination. And it's worthy to consider and ask ourselves, is the church of Christ, as it's presented in the Scriptures, as it's presented in the New Testament, is it really a denomination? That's an important subject that we need to address, and we need to be able to discern and be able to talk about. Because as we would look around, there are more than 45,000 Christian denominations across the globe. That seems like an astounding number to me. And among the United States alone, there's about 200 denominations just in our country alone. So there are a wide number of sex and differing groups and denominations and different kinds of Christians, if I can use that a little bit of accommodatively, that language, that there are people who would claim and profess faith in Jesus that all subscribe to some differing kind of form of Christianity and what they believe and how they might practice and things that they believe that are acceptable in their lifestyle. And within the numerous denominations among professed Christians, denominationalism has led to ecumenicalism, which is essentially the idea that we are unified even in our diversity. That we can all believe certain things, although they might be different, we can all believe in them and we can all accept our certain beliefs as true. 
while we can all have unity because we all profess to be believers in Christ. That's the idea behind ecumenicalism. And these are some terms, denominations, and ecumenicalism that we're going to take some time to define because I believe it's important to this discussion in recognizing what Jesus really wants out of the church that He gave His life for in which He promised unto Peter and the apostles that He would build. It says in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, Jesus was very emphatic, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, that is that confession of faith of who Jesus is as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the Son of God, He says, I will build My church upon the foundation of Jesus and who He is. That becomes the whole premise of the church and that it becomes the foundation as we have already sung this morning, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that we need to recognize Him and His uh, position and His headship and His leadership. And we need to talk about the Lord's church and we need to do so in a way that has a deep appreciation for who He is and for the life that He lived and that He offered Himself in order to purchase and build the church of God, which we will read about in the Scriptures this morning. And so as we think about the church and the nature of it, and we think about denominations, and that becomes such a, in religion and especially among uh people who would profess to be Christians, it's not at all uncommon to ask, which denomination are you a part of? And people might say, well, I am a Baptist, I'm a Methodist, I'm a Catholic, I am Presbyterian or Pentecostal or some other form of group that would be a various denomination. And if we're going to understand and be able to ask ourselves the question, is the church of Christ the denomination? We need to understand what a denomination is. In the Continuum Glossary of Religious Terms, they define denomination as the term used to describe Christian movements or churches that are accepted as orthodox by the World Council of Churches. Denominationalism represents a move away from the church sect model which promoted the view that one movement contained the doctrinal truth and others were merely breakaway heresies. Christian denominations accept their differences and acknowledge their unity, striving towards an ecumenical relationship with each other. And what I find somewhat interesting about this uh, definition is that we're only talking about the denominations and the groups that we would consider as orthodox, not those unorthodox people. Uh, some people might want to classify us as or something like that. But that they say right there in the definition, don't they, that denominationalism is this move away from the fact that there is one set of truth, right? That there is one standard and one truth that and if you are not conforming to that one truth and that one standard, if you are not part of that idea of the one church that Jesus gave His life for, then and you're just considered another heretic, essentially. That denominationalism is this move away from that idea to a much broader form of acceptance. The word ecumenicalism or ecumenism 
It's the movement within the church to reconcile and promote understanding between the denominations in the hope of restoring unity. Although the drive towards ecumenism was a prominent feature in the 20th century development of Christianity, it has roots in various historical developments that extend as far back as the 16th century. It goes on to say, various factors such as cooperation in missionary work youth work, education, uh, liturgical developments, common ethical actions, and attempts to deal with doctrinal differences have all contributed to the development of ecumenism. One of the great moments for the ecumenical drive was the creation of the World Council of Churches in 1948. And so you might just notice that there is this drive for wide acceptance between various groups. And you think about a denomination. Then if you were to open up your Webster's Dictionary or an Oxford Dictionary, you would come across a few ideas of what a denomination is. One would probably be a definition that would define various groups of Christian uh, churches. But there is another way of defining it, and it's primarily from a financial background ground that in the banking system that denominations is a term that is used there and it's just simply a name or designation especially one serving to classify a set of things you think about that and especially as we might have mentioned in our Bible study this morning about the notion that was popular. Uh, I heard sermons about it all the time whenever I was growing up. That one church is as good as another. We've heard that. Attend the church of your choice. Another popular slogan that was put on bumper stickers and on trucks and all those kinds of things you might see going down the road. And that it implied that any denomination was just in, as equal to another denomination. That any church, as long as it was a church, was okay. But you think about that in light of the idea of a denomination that it is designating things and it's classifying things. And especially in light of its background in the financial industry, in the banking industry. If I had a $1 bill, and if I had a $100 bill, they might have a lot of similarities, wouldn't they? You might say, well, they're both green. They both have a president or some historical figure on them. They both have a one on them, right? They are both backed by the United States government. While they all share certain similarities... They are not the same, right? Because if I owe you a hundred dollars and I only give you that one hundred or that one dollar bill, you're going to be saying that's not an acceptable amount. You're going to be asking for ninety-nine more ones, aren't you? <laughs> you see, as we recognize a denomination is a way of separating and distinguishing certain things and separating them out and sorting them, while they might share similarities, they are not all the same and equal in value. 
Because what we learn in the Scriptures about the Lord's church that Jesus promised to build in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, as the Apostle Paul was speaking with the elders of the church at Ephesus. In Acts chapter 20 and in verse 28, notice what the Apostle Paul says here on this occasion. He says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. And Jesus, He purchased the church, He redeemed the church by offering His life. And the church that we read about, the church of Christ in the pages of the New Testament, that what we want to see is the value of the Lord's church that He gave His life for, that He purchased, that He redeemed, that He calls His own. As in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 5, while the Apostle Paul helps us see the beautiful relationship between Christ and the church, it's not something to dismiss and think of as unimportant. It's actually a very elevated view in a highly sophisticated relationship that we see between Christ and the church. In Ephesians chapter 5 and in verse 23, Paul writes here, he says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, He Himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her, so that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word." that He might present to Himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. What a beautiful description of this relationship between Christ and the church that He likens, Paul does, to the husband-wife relationship. That as Paul is describing what Jesus was willing to do, that He was this selfless husband who laid down His life for his bride. That does not give us the right to just dismiss the notion of what the Lord did. And when we talk about the church that Jesus gave His life for, that He purchased and that He promised that He would build in all these verses that we have considered so far, what we need to recognize this morning is that the church is as Christ intended and He is the one who gets to direct what the church is and what the church becomes. He is the architect behind the church and not ourselves and not our own desires and not our wishes. And so when we think about this in light of asking what is a denomination, it's a very important question that we have to consider as we are asking ourselves the greater question, is the church of Christ a denomination? When you think about churches and denominationalism, it, it results from trying to blend the universal church and the local church to form this hybrid. Something that is more or greater than the local church, but it's not the universal church. And it becomes this as you look at its organization. As you can just go to a variety of uh, various groups and denominations 
I, I looked at several. I looked at uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, for example. On their website, it says the Southern Baptist Convention is a fellowship of over 47,000 Baptist churches scattered across the United States and its territories. These congregations comprise of numerous racial, ethnic, language, and socioeconomic people groups are called cooperating churches. They have organized themselves to accomplish a specific set of missions and ministry initiatives, all for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to all people everywhere. I think that's a very good definition of what they are trying to be. That they are trying to form a network of various congregations, aren't they? And that's what we are trying to help people see that we, as we talk about denominations, that's a concept that we need to evaluate. We need to ask, is that a biblical concept? Is that a concept that is rooted and found in the Word of God? Especially in light of what the church is that Christ gave His life for. And so from a mission and organization standpoint, what we see in the Scriptures is that the church that Jesus purchased and that He gave His life for, that is in Ephesians 5 and verse 23, He is the head of the church. He is the one who is the ruling in heaven. In the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1, in Ephesians chapter 1 and in verse 20, as Paul is writing about Christ and his relationship to the church, it says, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. That Christ is the one who rules over the church. He is the one who has authority in His church. And so He is the one that dictates how the church is going to work and be organized in that as we need to look to Him as our head, that there is no other head. There is no other form or earthly organization or earthly head that would rule. There is no council. There is no president. There is no um, pope or anything that you would read about or in the news or in any other form or structure. Now when we talk about the local church, when we talk about the local church, which the New Testament oftentimes will do, we'll talk about the leadership in the local church in 1 Peter chapter 5. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2, notice here what Peter says as he talks about the organization of the local church. He says in verse 1, Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the church or the flock of God among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion but voluntarily, according to the will of God and not for sordid gain but with eagerness. Then, as we talk about the local church and how it is structured and how it is organized, that you see that elders they are the ones who have authority, that they are to be leading by example. 
and that they are to be the ones who shepherd and care and feed and watch and protect the local church. Now, as we think about this, as we think about Christ as the head of the universal church, as you think about the local church and elders, in the concept of a denomination, you get other forms of offices, don't you? That are just foreign to the pages of Scripture. That you don't read about a council with its president or that the council members, you don't read about this world council or anything of churches. You don't find anything like that. You find something a lot more simplistic in the New Testament. And that is Jesus as the head and you have elders in the head in the leaders of the local church where they have limited jurisdiction and limited oversight and limited authority because they themselves are under authority charged by Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd. You think about membership in a denomination. And I think this is something that's really important for us to think about that oftentimes you might look at what it requires to become a member of a certain denomination or a certain church that might be out there. And remember, as we're trying to really hone in on some kind of definition of what a denomination is, that it's something bigger than just the local church, and it's something that's not quite the universal church. You think about this. The Southern Baptist Convention, I'm not trying to pick on them or anything like that. I just found they were very informative on their website about who they are and what they try to do. And they would call themselves Baptists because they believe in baptism. Now, they do not believe that baptism is necessary to be saved. They believe that baptism is necessary to be a Baptist. That may seem like a strange statement, but that's what they say. They believe that you're saved by faith alone, and yet on their website, it says the New Testament clearly teaches that a local church is only to be comprised of those persons whose allegiance belongs exclusively to Jesus Christ. Baptism was the divinely, publicly instituted point of entry into the membership of a local congregation of believers. It goes on, the baptismal act publicly signified the transition of the individual from the old life to the new life in Christ. Old allegiances were forsaken in order that new allegiance with Christ and His people could be formed. The believer gave testimony to the spiritual transition, the rite of baptism. By submitting to the public act of baptism, a person publicly joined with the church in its confession that Jesus is Lord and expressed the intention to be considered a member of the congregation. You think about what they're saying is that in their belief, in the creed that they would subscribe to, they would say that you're saved at the point of faith. But if you want to be a member of the Baptist church in a particular congregation, then you have to be baptized. You think about that. And it would require more to become a Baptist than it does to become a Christian. Because what you have in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, 
to become a Christian, to have your sins washed away. What does the Bible teach? What does the Bible say? In Acts chapter 2, and verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so what we just need to recognize right here from the outset as we talk about denominations, that they are trying to become something that we read about in Scripture, or that we do not read about in Scripture. They're trying to become something larger than a local church. They're trying to add more than what the New Testament would require. And the Bible just teaches us that baptism is necessary for salvation and that as we do that, the Lord is then adding us to His church. In verse 41 of Acts 2, it says, So then those who had received His word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. That 3,000 of them were added to the Lord's church. That the Lord adds them to the church. Not something that is voted on or anything of that nature. And so what we need to recognize is that as we evaluate the system of denominations and ecumenism, that it rests on the idea that a council can determine who and what is orthodox or not. In that World Council of Churches, it is an organization that was established in 1948, originally consisting of 145 denominations from 44 nations to bring Christian denominations together to discuss matters of faith and practice. While the council has no authority over individual members, it is the practical expression of the ecumenical movement. And today it has over 200 participating denominations and the organization has resulted in a closer understanding among the varieties of Christian churches. However, the basis for membership that was adopted, the World Council of Churches, is a fellowship of churches which take our Lord Jesus Christ as God and Savior, has become a measure of Christian orthodoxy and has led to some Christian sects being excluded. And so what you have here is just this concept that we can identify who is in and who is not, who is true, who is, who is not, and that it is all through this world council of churches. And there is something that you think about, at least I think is important to evaluate as we think about what a denomination is from a conceptual standpoint. What happens if a denomination splits and divides? It's not uncommon. If you don't follow any of this on the news or anything, you might do a Google search this afternoon on the United Methodist Church, the UMC. Because they are splitting right now. And it is over the issue of homosexuality. There is a new group that is formed out of that group. It's called the Global Methodist Church. Where they are accepting of LGBTQ plus rights and homosexuality, that it is, they're accepting that lifestyle. United Methodists are opposing that. 
And we could all probably say who's right, who's wrong. We could all probably take a side, but that's not what we're trying to do here. My question is, how do we determine which group is legitimate or not within this system of denominations, of ecumenicalism? Which group is going to be considered orthodox or not? And what I think is that we have to conclude is that denominationalism just does not and it will never work. Because the Lord did not die for a system of division. He did not die for a council to determine who is of the truth. He died to make believers one in Him. As we have looked at several verses this morning already, I want you to also note in John the 17th chapter, in John chapter 17 and in verse 21, Jesus, as He was praying on the night that He was to be handed over to the Jews, and they would hand Him over to Pilate. In John chapter 17 and in verse 21, He was offering this prayer to God that those who would believe in Him, that they may all be one, even as You, Father, are in Me, and I in You, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that You sent Me. What Jesus wants for people is not division. He doesn't want a council to determine who is in and who is out, who is orthodox, who is unorthodox. He wants those that He died for to live as one. He wants them to recognize the truth that is found in Scripture and to submit to that. And while denominationalism will not work, What will work is simply following Christ and His Word and being the true expression of the Lord's church. And so as we have asked the question, what is a denomination from just a conceptual standpoint? We also want to think about what is the church of Christ? The church of Christ is an identification. And many people that you might talk to, they might ask, which denomination do you go to? Oh, you go to a church of Christ, the church of Christ denomination. That's the church. And that's the denomination that you are a part of. And I would simply, and I would try to correct someone or try to help them understand that as we might identify ourselves and we might call ourselves the West Side Church of Christ, We're not beholden to that name because we are part of a Church of Christ denomination. What we are trying to do is identify who we are in respect to Jesus. That you take the phrase, the Church of Christ, and just from a strictly grammatical uh, way of speaking, Church of Christ is a prepositional phrase. It's not a denominational name or title that... You take that preposition of, and you might remember from English class that a preposition is whatever a cat does. You know, the cat's on the desk, or it's beside the desk, or it's under the desk. Those are all prepositions. That's how I was taught what prepositions are. The idea of of Christ, the church is of Christ. It shows possession or relationship between 
the noun, the church, with the proper noun, Christ. That Christ is the one who owns and possesses the church and that we are submitting to Him. That's what we are trying to identify ourselves as. We're not trying to hold on to some denominational name or title. We're simply trying to describe our relationship with Jesus. And the Church of Christ is really a very informal kind of name. It's not a denominational title or proper name that we use to identify ourselves because there are several other scriptural designations in the Bible. We can read about the churches of Christ in Romans chapter 16 and verse 16 where Paul says the churches of Christ salute you. Church of Christ is a perfectly scriptural name, but it's not the only one. We could call ourselves the church of God. Paul identifies the church in Corinth as the church of God. We could also call ourselves the saints in Wichita in the book of Philippians in Philippians chapter 1. Notice how Paul addresses the church there at Philippi. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, he says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. We could call ourselves the saints in Wichita if we wanted to. We call ourselves a church of Christ because we're trying to help understand our relationship with Christ. We want others to see that we have a relationship with Christ and that we are recognizing Him as our head. That we are recognizing Him as our Savior. And that we have this relationship with Him that is important and we recognize that in just our designation that we don't want to subscribe to the teachings of someone else. That Jesus is the one who is preeminent in this place. Because Jesus is the one who promised that He would build His church. In Matthew chapter 16 and in verse 18. He is the one who died and purchased the church. In the book of Acts in chapter 20 and verse 28. He is the head of the church. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23. Those are all verses that we have looked at this morning and that we've been reading and trying to help us understand in a very organic kind of way what the New Testament presents as the church. And as we are baptized, I brought up the Southern Baptist Convention, what they said about baptism, that baptism is required to become a member of their local church. What we see in... The New Testament as Jesus saves us by His grace. And when we are baptized, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, notice what Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and the 13th verse. Paul says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. And as we are baptized, we are baptized into one body, into that church that Jesus died for, the universal church for which He is head and which He reigns over. And that we are baptized into that church, that Jesus is the one who saves us. He is the Savior of the body. 
And to be faithful to the teachings of the New Testament, we must make a distinction between the local church and the universal church here. And that's what makes this difficult, I think, in our conversation. Because a denomination is this middle hybrid form, isn't it? That you have the local church where it's a, in a located place in a geographical location. But then you have the universal church. It's a very uh, widespread church that is encompassing of all believers of all places, of all countries who have ever lived, even those who have passed on before us. And as we talk about Christ as the head of the church, we're talking about Him as the head of the universal church, that He is the Savior of, and that when we are baptized, we are baptized into that universal church. And so as we talk about the church of Christ, we're talking about it in a very large-scale, universal sense in many ways right here. And so... Is the church of Christ a denomination? We want to return back to our question this morning. I would say that a denominational mindset has from time to time crept in to churches. Back in the mid-1800s, you had the church of Christ who was growing and doing well, disciples of Christ. And then there was the introduction of the Missionary Society. And Alexander Campbell was very clear, he was very articulate about it, that he was trying to activate the universal church. And I would submit to you that that cannot be done unless you're going to adopt a denominational kind of mindset and you're going to have some kind of group, an organization, something that's larger than the local church, but smaller than the universal church. Sponsoring church arrangements where there's been an organization or a network of churches of Christ that we've tried to build that might share money or share a work together in some way. There's the grace unity movement that has taken place among brethren where we try to recognize that there are some who, as long as you believe in certain facts and that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, then our doctrinal distinctions, that may not really matter. We can just kind of sweep that under the rug. I believe all of this comes from a Church of Christ kind of denominational mindset that people have sometimes adopted. Sometimes I'll hear people say, well, what does the church of Christ believe on this? What's the church of Christ doctrine on this particular issue or on that particular issue? And I think just by that kind of phrase, that can sometimes show that we have a denominational mindset, can't it? Because it shows that we're trying to define what the church of Christ believes. What I like to say is, what does the Bible teach? What does the Bible say? I think that's a little bit more precise in our language. Because there are many churches of Christ, there are many local churches of Christ that some of them have become unfaithful because they have taken wrong positions on certain things. They have all led, been led astray. You read in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 of several churches that had 
lost their candlestick or were on the verge of losing their candlestick. And so the congregations that call themselves a church of Christ, they can become a denomination or at least pseudo-denominational. But God did not make them that way. Because the church of Christ, as you read about in Scripture, are people who simply want to be Christians. Are people who want to follow God's Word. And we want to model the church as we find in the New Testament in our work, in our worship, in how we work to serve God. And we do not need to become an artificial or man-made hybrid of the local church and universal church. We simply need to do what the Bible teaches us. Because denominationalism does not follow the pattern of the church in the New Testament. It allows for the unity that Jesus wants. It does not allow for the unity that Jesus wants. It does not give preeminence to Jesus as the King. And it does not organize itself in the way that Jesus wanted it to be organized. No, as we think about the church of Christ, as we read about in the Bible, it is not a denomination. The church of Christ is antithetical to denominationalism. The church of Christ is undenominational. But this morning, as we have been trying to investigate a little bit, as we've been thinking about and evaluating the concept of what it is to be a denomination and whether we are really that. As we want to serve God, we want to just simply follow the Bible. If you are here this morning and you're not a Christian, and you're not a part of the church that Jesus died for, but you can become a part of that church today. If you're willing to give your life and your heart to Jesus Christ, follow Him, be baptized into Christ, have your sins washed away. We're here to help you do that. If we can help you in some way this morning, would you come now as we stand and as we sing? God calling in, God, I'm not here.